Hey there, everybody. It's AJ with Outdoors Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. It has been quite a while since I spoke to you last, and I am really excited about my conversation today. If you listened to the last episode with Nick, um, we talked quite a bit about his journey into trying to tackle the John Muir Trail. Unfortunately, Nick was unable to complete the journey, where I don't want to say unable. He chose to opt out uh, of the last part of the journey and go back and spend some time with his kids, something that I certainly uh, I'm very proud of him for doing. I think it takes a lot of guts to say, hey, this is uh, not working for me right now. I want to go do something that makes me happy. I want to go do something that, you know, really makes me have fun. And I think that's uh, a really fantastic way to approach, you know, backpacking in the trail. Uh, today, I got to speak with a fantastic young lady by the name of Katie. And I don't want to say young lady because she is, uh, I want to say around my age, but uh, Katie also attempted the John Muir Trail and had a similar experience. She had an injury that prevented her from completing the trail and had a really wild story on how she actually got off the trail. Definitely something you want to check out. Uh, unfortunately, Katie and I did have a couple of audio problems throughout the, the episode, and you'll hear some kind of ticks and things here and there. Uh, bear with it. Trust me. It is an episode that you do not want to cut out early on. Katie has a wealth of experience in the outdoors. She's traveled internationally to adventure and really went for a <laughs> a big, big goal of trying to complete the John Muir Trail in Fort days. Uh, that's right. She wanted to do almost 200 miles and 38,000 feet of elevation in 14 days. So take that uh, for for your challenges. Uh, she is an absolute badass. I actually met Katie through Instagram. We had some great conversations about her preparation. And uh, I just invited her to come and talk about her experience on the trail. I think you're going to absolutely love this episode. So without further ado, let's jump right in. All right. So I want to jump right in. Um, what are the events that led up to you wanting to do the John Muir Trail, either as a group or solo? I don't know. I don't know what you were trying to do from the very beginning. Yeah, I was trying to do solo from the very beginning. Uh, I had spoken to a few people um, that actually one was my college roommate and uh, and her husband. They live out in San Diego now and they were telling me how difficult it was to get a permit for um, Half Dome. And they had gotten, she actually included me in, in the whole process. And so I got to see kind of how that, that lottery system worked. Um, and so I knew that it was going to be difficult to get the trail. And like the more research I did, uh, I realized it's almost impossible um, to get it if you, if you do a group on the first time. So I just, I just went for it and started kind of training my mind um, to do the hike solo. Okay. So you got your permit the first time that you applied? No. Um, so I, I applied, I got, uh, I was rolled over in the lottery system for close to six months. Okay. So at the end of that six months, yeah. But you know, I consider this all for, for this one trip. Yeah. I didn't have to wait a whole, whole year. That's huge. Yeah. Because I don't know uh, if you had the chance, but episode 12 of the podcast, the guy right before you uh, is a guy named Nick Scaramuzzo. He's a firefighter from New York and did the same thing, did the trip solo, uh, got through about, I think, two thirds of it and then decided to kind of opt out and head home for a number of different reasons. And, um, you know, Nick uh, has applied for five years. 
to try and get his permit. It was his sixth year. And I think he's always applied for four or five spots. Wow. Which is probably what kept him from getting one. For sure. Uh, And then he finally got a solo one and had to go on his own. Yeah. Which I think is what contributed to him not wanting to complete the trail in its entirety when it happened. He's also got tons of kids at home and that whole kind of thing. Is that Triple Nichols? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Triple Nichols outdoors. Absolutely. Yeah, I I was following his his, uh, journey. Yeah, for sure. So you, how much backpacking, hiking had you done leading up to this? Or was this something that you just kind of like jumped into and said like, oh, this seems like a challenge? (laughs) Um, I had done quite a bit of backpacking and hiking. So um, I come from a family of uh, of hikers. I I grew up in the woods. Uh, My dad was scoutmaster. My uh, brother and uncles are all Eagle Scouts. So I kind of grew up playing in the woods. And I, I love that. It's, it's like home for me. Um, I've bounced around a little bit, but I've always, uh, always made time to take some trips. I did, um, Patagonia in 2015. That was my first real through hike. Wow. Uh, That was a lot of fun. I did that with, uh, four friends and, um, we had a great time. Uh, so that was kind of my first experience with that. But then after that, um, so I'm an attorney and I really didn't have much time during law school or undergrad to, to hike that much. So, sure. um, after that was done, I kind of went on a little travel bender and, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, did, I did Patagonia and then that kind of just set me off and I went, um, hiked in, uh, Iceland and all around the U S I've hit a lot of national parks. So had quite a bit of experience going into this. That's awesome. That's awesome. And was there anything specific about the John Muir Trail other than understanding that there's this huge demand for doing that? I mean, is there anything specific about the JMT that really attracted you? Was it the, the mileage, the challenge of it, the the area? What was it? Um, it, it was the area. Um, so I've, I've read John Muir's books. Um, I, I just love the descriptions that he used to talk about the Sierras. Um, I've been to Yosemite before. I did not hike any part of the trail. Um, I I don't particularly love um, the Appalachian Trail's um, geography. Uh, I prefer out west. And so um, I just I kind of went for it. Yeah, that's been one of the things. And I mean, certainly not to like bag on the Appalachian Trail or anybody that goes and does that, you know, journey, that adventure that seems like an enormous undertaking oh, for sure. uh, to someone that hasn't done any major through hikes or anything. But, um, it, you know, the amount of people that are out there combined with the terrain and the geography that you're going through compared to, you know, something like the PCT or maybe the coast to coast, um, you know, that, that has always appealed way more. Um, you know, I don't know that you and I have chatted about it much, but essentially my girlfriend and I bought this old jalopy RV and we're renovating it. We're going to head out of the Midwest and head towards the West coast and try and figure out over the course of a year or so where to live next. Um, just because the terrain here doesn't really lend itself towards, as much backpacking and adventuring, although there's tons of stuff. I know you're from, you know, kind of the Eastern Ohio area. Yeah. Originally, I know there's tons of stuff kind of in the Allegheny National Forest and Central Ohio. There's tons mm-hmm. of stuff and you have access to a lot of the Smokies from there. Yeah. Um, but you know, here in, in St. Louis, Missouri, we don't, you know, our highest spot in Missouri is about 1800 feet. 
spots. So uh, there's not, and there's not a lot of, of difference between that and the low spots. So um, not exactly a lot of huge vistas or views or anything like that. Right, right. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, when you were leading up to it, obviously we chatted a little bit about how you got your permits and things like that. What kind of preparations did you make from the physical preparations and the mental standpoint? You kind of talked about how you mentally geared up for the challenge. Yeah. What did you do to physically prepare as well? Um, I, I ran a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm an athlete. I ran track in college and I've always stayed very active. It's just something that is uh, good for me mentally. Um, so I ran quite a bit. Uh, I hiked a lot and I live in Florida, so it's even flatter than Missouri. <laughs> and sure, so sure. It's not like, uh, not like I was able to, to hike up mountains or anything, but I did a lot of the Stairmaster, of course. Um, I, I was the idiot. I was certain I was going to be on Barstool Sports, you know, like our Jim Hardos or something uh, with For my sure. backpack on, <laughs> uh, on the Stairmaster because I did that quite a bit um, to prepare. So I just kind of did what I could. I mean, I would just literally just go out and walk for, you know, 15 miles with my pack on um, as much weight as I would have. You know, I didn't have all my gear at the time, but and then, you know, do the Stairmaster, run six miles, just, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I also played uh, sports in college. I played football. Nice. And there's no way to get r- into football shape without playing football. Uh, you can run, you can lift, and you can do all those things. You can even do lots of exercises over the summer. Uh, but until you start going out and doing the actual activity, and I agree with you entirely. I've, I've gone through stints where I've done lots of running, tons of, of time on the step mill and trying to get ready for elevation. But until you put your actual backpack on and start covering different terrain and different miles, it's just a very different thing. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, uh, I did what I could, but uh, my first my first three days, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about <laughs> sort of getting into it, but my first three days in the trail were, were pretty brutal. Yeah. Now, you did you have any kind of delays or anything when you first arrived being able to get out onto the trail? Um, I know that Nick ran into some things weather-based. Did you have any kind of, of obstacles when you first got started? Unfor- uh, so fortunately, I did not have any weather obstacles, but travel, I had plenty. Um, so I was supposed to fly into Mammoth Lakes Airport, which is where a lot of the hikers kind of fly into because it's on the eastern side of the Sierras. It's um, easy to get into the park. You can take a BART, you know, early in the morning and uh, get there with plenty of time, you know, get your permit and and get to the whatever your first campsite destination is. But um, so I ended up getting um, one of my flights was was delayed. I had to get rerouted through Fresno, um, grab an Airbnb. There was like a couple things I still had to get. So I had to get, you know, a knife, um, just a couple other like miscellaneous things. So I just took an Uber from the airport, had him drop me off at, uh, at, uh, Walmart, got my last minute stuff, you know, my fuel, my knife and whatever else I needed. And, um, got an Airbnb. I was able to take a Greyhound to Merced and then from Merced to, uh, Yosemite, I took BART and I didn't end up getting into the park until about, about one o'clock. Um, okay. got my wilderness permit. Um, by the time I got on the trail, it was about two or two 30, uh, a lot of traffic in downtown Yosemite. This was, and by the way, I started, um, September 21st was my, okay. was my first day on the trail. So, um, by the time I got on the trail, uh, I, for, for everyone listening to this, I mean, there's, 
there's a lot of lessons to be learned from uh, from our mistakes. And I, I hope you guys choose better. But um, the the lady at the wilderness permit center. So my my start point was uh, Glacier Point. Okay. She told me she said, well, you know, you can uh, you can take a, a bus up there. So there's a difference between a shuttle and a bus. Shuttle you have to pay for. Bus you do, and it was like twenty bucks or something to get up to Glacier Point. Or you could hike for free up four mile trail. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, cheapskate me, I was like, oh, I'll get my my trail legs under me for sure. I'll just I'll just hike that trail. Having no concept for the elevation gain that I was about to experience, I was already going through a little bit of, of altitude sickness. So me with, you know, the heaviest my pack will ever be and not used to altitude, I hike up four mile trail, which is roughly... 3,500 foot elevation gain from the valley floor. And I was gassed, absolutely gassed. So by the time I get on um, Panorama Trail to get to uh, Little Valley or Little Yosemite Valley, it was like 5.30, 6 o'clock. It was dusk. And that's a nine mile hike from there. So I hiked for a good good hour and a half in the dark. Wow. The first day. <laughs> That's yeah. And that's just, that can really put a big dent in your morale. (laughs) Well, it was, um, the biggest dent in the morale was I lost my sunglasses because I was feeling really sick, um, halfway up four mile trail. And I, uh, just took my hat off and I had my sunglasses on my head, lost my sunglasses at the very beginning of the trip. And I was like, son of a, so I didn't realize it until I was, you know, several miles away. And so <laughs> I randomly asked this, this group of like teenagers, I was like, Hey guys, I know this is going to be a weird question, but I have a real long hike ahead of me. Can I buy sunglasses from someone here? I was like, I have cash. And they're like, Oh no, no, just take these ones. And they're like, we only wear these when we're high. So we don't care. <laughs> so, so I, took, Lifesaver. I took these, these cheapo sunglasses. It was still light outside and they were like killing me. Like the, the light was going right through the lenses and like reflecting on my eye. And I was like, Oh, these are bad. Uh, but it was very kind of them. So I figured, yeah, all right, sure. I'm keep going. I go like maybe three, three more miles or so. And I see this other solo guy He's clearly a day hiker. He just has a little tiny pack on and he definitely has polarized lenses. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, Hey, excuse me. Is there, is there any way I could maybe trade and give you money for your sunglasses for these ones? And he's like, he's like, honey, you can have these. I got them for $10. No problem. Give me sweet polarized sunglasses. I wore them the rest of the trail. I was so thankful for this guy. I, you know, the, one of the things that I, the very first backpacking trip I went on after I got back into backpacking was a really bad experience. But other than that, I mean, on the you know hundreds of miles that I've done and tons of different trips, the kindness of strangers on trails oh, it's unreal. is unbelievable. Yeah, it's unparalleled. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, one of the things that we went through in Yosemite, we were taking a couple of different routes, my girlfriend and I, and we were going to basically leave one campsite, hike out through Glacier Point, and then come back through uh, McGurk Meadows to essentially the Brideville Falls campsite. Mm -hmm. And my girlfriend said, hey, you know, we're we're hiking back to the exact same place. Let's just leave our packs, leave our stuff, and that way we don't have to carry everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm a gear dork, so I have spent (laughs) years 
cultivating this perfect setup of all the things that I really like. And the idea of it being taken from me was more than I could handle. But we essentially buried our stuff and then came back to it and nothing had happened to it. And in in retrospect, I should have realized, like, especially in the back country, nobody messes with your stuff. No, not at all. Everyone was so it, concerned. Yeah. Like as, as a female solo hiker, you know, weirdos or, you know, people are going to steal my stuff. And I'm like, listen, when you're in the hiking community enough, you know uh, what to expect. And it's anything you experience on the East Coast you know, multiply by 10 out on the West coast. Oh, so yeah. nice people everywhere, but on the West coast, they're just so used to backpackers and everyone is, I mean, this is their, their passion. Yeah. So. It's such a part of the culture. Absolutely. So in, in your preparation, and you talked a little bit about the, the physical side and a little bit about the mental side, when it came to your gear and food, uh, how much of a preparation did that, how many months out did you start working on that stuff? Was it you know, manageable or did it seem overwhelming at times? How did that go? Um, I, I probably started looking for gear four months out um, okay. about then. Uh, so I, you know, started with the essentials, uh, my sleeping bag, my tent, poles, shoes, um, Obviously, I had to you know wear your shoes in, get used to your pack, those those kind of things. So, um, I started with the big stuff and then just gradually filled it in. Um, I, I wouldn't say I felt overwhelmed at any point. Um, there's, I didn't feel like there was an excess of information about um, this particular trail, which was kind of surprising. I mean, there's definitely information out there. Don't get me wrong, um, but I, I kind of had to to piece together. Um, you know, information from a bunch of different sources, because most people do this trail in, you know, 25 days, 24, 25 days. Um, and I was doing it in 14. So I wasn't quite wow. an, an ultra light person. And I wasn't quite, you know, a full gear person. I was somewhere in the middle. And there just wasn't a ton of resources for that. So, you know, I just picked and choose um, from each of those sources, what I was going to do and not do one. one where, where about was your base weight? Uh, my, would you say? Yeah, my base weight was, um, I believe it was 32 pounds. Holy cow. It was, it was pretty, it was pretty good. I was, I mean, I was kind of proud of myself. That's so that's before food, fuel and water. Oh wait, no. Um, so that's your total weight. Yeah. So without water and fuel, it was 32. So with food. Wow. And, and how much food do you think you were carrying in weight at any given time? Mm, it was about, I'm trying to remember what my, um, I think it was about 15. Okay. Okay. So your pack mm. was probably somewhere in the upper teens, lower twenties. Yeah. Like, around there. Consumables. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, I cool. <laughs> that puts you, that, I was like, if you were at 32 pounds before your food, <laughs> no. you were doing something wrong to do that trick. <laughs> no, sir. No. Uh, in total with water and everything is about 40. Okay. All right. That's, I mean, you're, that's a pretty, that's a pretty stout pack. Yeah. I mean, with with water that makes you know decent sense but you could definitely get down lighter than that if you wanted yeah, to yeah for but, sure for sure you know it just depends on how much you want to spend and all that kind of stupid stuff yeah I mean, and I, I wasn't some people like get said, real was, carried away yeah it was kind of it's kind of between those two um uh extremes so 
So then throughout your trail experience, obviously, you know, you got off to a start of having to climb 3,500 feet and go several miles ahead of schedule that you weren't really prepared for. The altitude sickness got to you quick. Uh, How did the first week or so of your your experience go? How did that that uh, that go through for you? Um, So starting off on the trail. uh, So the first day I really count was the day that I woke up at, at Little Yosemite Valley. And, uh, I, I mean, I was alone and I didn't know anyone else that was doing it. There was, you know, Facebook groups that I had talked to people about, and I had heard like rumblings that there's not a lot of water at the very beginning of the trail. If you're headed Southbound, um, I, I didn't. So when I came into, into camp, I coasted in on fumes. Like I was, I wasn't afraid to hike in the dark but I was afraid to stop and get water in the dark because of predators. <laughs> and I mean, sure. I, you know, probably a little, a little, um, overly cautious there, but so I coasted in without any water. I woke up in the morning and I was like dying cause I was sweating my butt off, you know, hiking as fast as I could to get to camp. So I, I get up in the morning and, um, there's, there's no water around and I had to, filter from like a stagnant puddle <laughs> for like uh, breakfast. And I was like, okay, I was like probably should have done a little, little better prep here, but you know, you get in when you get in and you just deal with it. So, um, so that was like my, my first day on the trail was, you know, there probably wasn't water for about 10 miles. Uh, so wow. I, I learned, uh, very quickly how important, um, that would be. And I, I would say, at the beginning, um, I've never hated food or water more in my life, and I've never loved it more, um, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, mean, uh, I didn't bring any music with me or anything. Um, you know, it was just kind of me and my thoughts. Um, can you hear me? Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah, my, my computer just shut off, so I just want to make sure. But um, Oh, you're fine. No, you yeah, sound great. So, um, it was physically pretty demanding. It, it got pretty cold. Um, the, the second night it was about 30 degrees. Um, I camped at, at cathedral, uh, my first night. Um, and I just, I, it was funny. Uh, I camped with just random people. I just saw them on the trail. I, I didn't see many people, honestly. Um, and the most people that I saw throughout the entire trail were, were in Yosemite. So that tells you later on, you know, in the trail, I mean, I went probably two or three days without seeing more than one or two people. So. Yeah. And you were getting about as late of a start as you'd really correct. want to. Yeah, Is absolutely. that correct? And that, I mean, that wasn't intentional. It just kind of, that's what happened with the permit system. So. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, and I don't think that with the way that they do the permitting and and the number of people that make the entire journey, uh, you know, I don't think it's a massively populated trail, right? I mean, it's not one that it's going to feel super crowded. You're just going to be seeing people all day, every day. Although I think in some of the more popular, you know, kind of camping areas, it's probably not uncommon to run into some other groups. Um, but I think on the whole, it's, it's a largely yeah, more sparse um, trail, correct? I would say at the beginning, you know, in, uh, in Yosemite, pretty much until you get out of Yosemite, it's relatively crowded. And then of course, once you get to, um, to Whitney, you know, I've heard Guitar Lake, it's just in, it's just absolutely crazy. Didn't make it there, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking of, right, you obviously had a setback mm-hmm. in the middle of your experience that, 
kept you from being able to complete the trail. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what happened. Yeah. So, um, I had, uh, I had torn my meniscus, uh, twice before this and didn't get surgery or anything like that. It wasn't that serious, you know, it just kind of healed on its own. Um, so I knew that that was probably a, a risk. Um, so I was very careful, um, uh, used my poles pretty, pretty extensively, but at about mile 60, uh, it was about red reds meadow. Um, for whatever reason, I didn't step wrong. I didn't, you know, I didn't hear popping there. There was nothing. There was no event that happened uh, that that made me hurt my knee. But I ended up tearing my meniscus, and uh, so I, I noticed it uh, the night I was I had passed Red Meadows, uh, maybe ten miles beyond Red Meadows, and I camped really nice spot. And I was like, man, my my knee's starting to swell up a little bit. So I took a strap from my pack um, the next morning, and I took my uh, my buff. Um, like my bandana buff and I just tied it around my leg and I used my strap to tighten it. And that just kind of put pressure in the right spot. So I was okay. Um, I mean, I was supposed to average, um, between 15 and 17 miles a day, uh, in order to finish in, in 14 days. So I knew some days were going to be a little, little less than others. Uh, after I hurt my knee, it was, uh, the day after that it was about 15 miles. And then the day after that, I felt great. I did 18 things were awesome. Wow. Um, and then, you know, for the next few days, it, uh, it got, it got pretty bad to the point where, um, day nine, uh, I was heading into Muir trail ranch to resupply. I, I chose to only resupply in one place. So that's why my food was so heavy Makes at sense. the beginning. Um, yeah. So I, I coasted into the resupply. Um, you know, I met some people on the way and, when they got off the trail, they gave me, you know, just some beef jerky and like you know, sure. just a couple things. Um, so I had, I had maybe a day and a half uh, worth of food going into Muir Trail Ranch. So I was very excited to get to my food, but standing in the way of uh, me and my food was um, Selden Pass and it got very, very cold. And I had heard um, from some of the other hikers that uh, it was going to snow and we were potentially going to get a winter storm. So I wake up, uh, the morning going into, uh, Selden pass and I had hiked my butt off, you know, for four days, um, to get to the point where I knew I only had to hike about 14 miles to get to, uh, to Muir trail ranch. So that morning uh, it was really cold and up in Selden pass, it was, it was probably, I would say below 30. It was definitely That's below tough. freezing. Um, wind was just whipping. Uh, there was like snow BBs <laughs> just like pelting in the face. <laughs> so I hid behind a tree for a little bit. I ended up getting to the top at probably a little before noon. And, uh, I had about, um, oh, about eight miles, uh, down to, to get to Muir Trail Ranch. And, for anyone that that has hiked in the Sierras or you know hiked elevation, you know that if you hurt your knees, and even if you don't, uh, the descent is always the hardest. So, I was. Um, I don't think I'm. I I have a pretty high pain tolerance. I don't think I'm a I'm a wimp, but uh, I was like screaming in pain uh, for like those eight miles because it's it's probably a. 3,500 or 4,000 foot oh. descent, um, from Mountain pass. Yeah. Into, into Muir trail ranch. I'm sure someone's going to like fact check me on that, but, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty brutal. So, uh, it took me quite a while. I didn't get into Muir trail ranch until mm, maybe like a little after four, like four fifteen, 
and they close at like five thirty, five or five thirty. So I get there and uh, you stop stop me if you if you want to no, go no, into no, something no. else. No, no, no. This is exactly why I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to learn about what okay. what went wrong and how you went about it. Yeah. So so I get to Miratro Ranch and I had sent my resupply bucket there. I was very excited to see my food. Um, I would say. I mean, I, I don't want to bash anyone uh, by any means, but um, Mirror Trail Ranch is more or less geared towards, you know, hikers, sure. right? Um, it's definitely a dude ranch. They have, you know, cattle, they have horses and things like that. So I'm sure that they they do other things. But the cabins that are on the premises are for the hikers. And um, they had closed the cabins early. So I was super excited to get there, not only to get my food, but to get a shower. Uh, but since that winter storm rolled in, they decided to close a little bit early, which was fine. So I knew I wasn't going to get a shower, but, um, I was in, I was in pretty rough shape, uh, when I got there. And so I asked, uh, the workers, I said, you know, is there any way I was like, it, it would take me easily two hours to get to the backpackers camp, which is about, should be about a 15 minute oh. hike from the ranch, <laughs> but I was, I was limping. I mean, there's nothing I could do. And, um, they said, yeah, that that's, we can't really let you, you know, set up camp on our premises. You can set up camp outside. Um, that's public lands. And they're like, oh, but by the way, there's been a very large male black bear that's been, you know, rooting around. He wants our compost pile. So shouldn't bother you, but you know, just make sure that you, that you hide your bear vault a little farther away. I'm like, great. <laughs> Thanks. Yay. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty ruthless. Um they they were not willing to help yeah. at all. And I'm not like exaggerating. Um they just didn't care. So and I was just kind of more so surprised not not that I that I wanted, you know, preferential treatment by any means. Um they see a lot of PCTers that are not sending a resupply there. You know, they're, they're coming for the hikers buckets. So, um, for those of you that don't know what the hikers buckets are, basically, um, when, when you resupply, most of the time you send yourself sure. too much food. So there's a ton of stuff left over. Let's say you got to get off the trail, you know, you just take all the stuff from your pack and you put it in these buckets and, uh, the buckets are labeled, you know, toiletries, uh, you know, food, drinks, whatever. So those get pretty full, especially from the JMT people. So the PCTers come in and oh, raid yeah. them and uh, they, they use, you know, the bathroom and water and stuff like that at Muir Trail Ranch. So they're used to a lot of people going through there. Um, I, I was like a, a paying customer, yeah. right? So I sent my bucket, you know, to the post office. I paid them 80 bucks, you know, to, to pick it up. And it didn't matter who I was or what I did they were not interested in helping. So I ended up setting my tent up right outside, you know, on the the public lands and, uh, was able to use my, uh, my satellite phone and, uh, text my, my dad. And I said, you know, Hey, I, I heard from a couple, um, couple people on the trail that the California state highway patrol has a free, um, like hella rescue that they do like, they have a helicopter that they just kind of like use for training. And I was like, I don't know how true this is, but you know, check it out. Like maybe call Worth the ranger or something. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So, um, that night, uh, it dropped down to maybe, maybe oh. 10 degrees. 
and it snowed quite a bit. So it snowed maybe, maybe three, four inches. Um, maybe, maybe around legitimately there. I don't know. Concerning. I, I, I mean, know that's that. serious weather. Yeah. So, so the winds were whipping pretty good. Um, when I went to bed and you know, it, you go to bed really early when you're on the trail because not only are you just, you know, absolutely beat from the day, but it gets dark at like six, six thirty. So you're pretty much your brain you know, says good bed. Out. It, right. Yeah. Like seven thirty, yeah. like you're done. So um I woke up at about three in the morning and my tent was on oh. my face <laughs> because of the snow. <laughs> so um I I had a pole tent. Um I I chose the big agnes scout ul2 um and it was it was a little older model it was um from 2017 uh and it was fine it was a pole tent it was base weight was um like less than two pounds uh but it was a three season tent single walled not designed for three inches of snow (laughs) <laughs> definitely not designed for cold weather. Luckily, I'm a hot sleeper. Um, I had a good sleeping bag. I think I had a uh, mm, 20 degree sleeping bag. But uh, we're warm in six. That's yeah, impressive. So we're down in, down into the tens. That's that's impressive. Yeah, I I was fine. I I sleep very warm. But yeah, waking up with a tent on your face is is not good. So since it's a pole tent, you know, luckily I was able to just you know readjust the pole and I was okay. And I hit the snow off the off the tent and uh, and I was good. But uh, I woke up at about oh I don't know five, and I was like I can't do this anymore. So got up, made my coffee, made my made my oatmeal, whatever like I always did, and. Um, just tried to kind of figure out an exit plan. And I was like, well, I guess I'm stuck with these, these, uh, Muir trail ranch people for the next yeah. few days. <laughs> Cause I definitely needed to take at least, you know, two zero days probably just to recoup. Um, and it, when you're there, there's only two ways to get out. Um, well, three ways, the helicopter is one, but if you, if you're trying to get out on the Western side, it's relatively easy. You take, um, you take a, about a 13 mile trail past this really pretty lake, but you're stuck on the Western side of the Sierra, which is kind of no man's land. Um, and getting a ride out there is very difficult. The roads are treacherous. Um, and it's so late in the season, it's snowing. I, I knew it, it would just be almost impossible to, uh, to, to get a ride. So I was looking at ways I could get over on the Eastern side. And of course you have to go over uh, Muir Pass, which is very, very difficult, yeah. especially in, bad weather um and then you can get out at um oh i can't think of the name there's a town real close to there but right right past um uh muir pass i think it's eden or something like that Um, but it definitely backpackers town and you can get anywhere you need to and i could have gotten back to uh to um mammoth lakes that way However, my dad was toiling all night <laughs> trying to <laughs> as a good parent will be. Yeah, trying to get his little girl out, you know, like it was like I was in dire straits, but you know, to him it was it was oh, sure. dire. So, he he ended up organizing, he called California State Highway Patrol, you know, through a series of calls and uh, at about 7:30, uh, one of the workers from Muir Trail Ranch yelled over to me. I was in my tent. And they're like, hey, did you call the helicopter? I'm like, no, I, I can't call anyone. <laughs> and they're like, well, they're coming. And I realized it was my dad. That's amazing. So, uh, 
I took all my stuff. I threw it in my pack as fast as I possibly could. And I get over there and, uh, the, the cops were like the nicest people I think I've ever met in my life. And they, they just straight up asked me, they're like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? Where do I want to go? And I was like, don't you guys have to like take me to a hospital or something? And they're like, Oh no, no, we can take you wherever oh, that's you want. Amazing. It's <laughs> like, am I dreaming? I'm like, yeah, myself. seriously. And, yeah. And, uh, they're like, no. So I just said, we'll take them to the airport. That'd be great. So they take me to Mammoth Airport. Uh, I fill out like a little thing, you know, just give them my basic information. And uh, so they had my cell phone. One of the one of the guys uh, called me like two hours later. Honey, how's your leg doing? Just want to make sure you're okay. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Like, you guys rule. Absolutely rule. That's fantastic. So. I mean, and what a great system for them to be able to do some training, to go out and figure out sure. you know, how to use their equipment and in the real world scenario where they've got to go out when it's a serious emergency, they're well-trained and yeah. prepared. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I need to say this too. Um, so I had a Garmin, um, a Garmin, it wasn't an Explorer. It was one, one of those. In reach maybe? Yeah, inReach. Sure. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, so, so I had Garmin inReach, um, which has you know kind of like a, an SOS yeah. feature on it. I wasn't sure to the point where I needed to use an SOS, but if you do that, you know it dispatches a, a, a private service, and it can be extremely oh, expensive. Yeah. Um, but uh, so since my my dad was calling around, evidently when when there is a signal sent out for a uh, sort of a hella rescue, it goes out to, to every helicopter service, including the cops. So what happened was that morning, and I didn't know this was going on until the, until the cops told me this, but I did hear a chopper before I heard the cops come. And I, I, it went away. And evidently what they were trying to do is they were trying to pick me up and take me on the Western side to have the cops pick me up there ah. so they can move money. Yeah. And it would, they would have charged me like $10,000 to take me 13 wow. miles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got so, one of the, the I've up. got one of the spots. Uh, I think mine's like a gen three and it's the exact same thing. It's got four buttons. I can send, you know, a text message to my girlfriend at night that says, Hey, I'm at camp. You know, everything's good. I've got another one that, you know, is, is like, here's my location. I can send out uh, one that says, Hey, I need help, but don't send like the cavalry. Uh, just let you know, the right, local right. state or the, the local Rangers know that like my ankle is tender or something like that. I can kind of send like a, yeah. I'm going to keep working through it, but no, I'm needing some assistance. Uh, and then there's the SOS, which sends the giant distress signal where you're going to spend a lot of money. That's like, you know, yeah. a bear ate yeah. my leg. <laughs> I need, Correct. I need yeah. emergency. Yeah, the cost doesn't matter <laughs> at that point. Um, so yeah, right. but having those devices are fantastic and it certainly gives you a peace of mind, yeah. uh, to go out and maybe adventure a little bit further, you know, than you originally wanted to. For sure. And my loved ones really loved, um, you know, following along, seeing where I was. So I was sending, you know, pings every, like, I started off like every 15 mm -hmm. minutes 
And so my dad was just like glued to his phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of living vicariously through me. Yeah, so my, uh, they, they really like it's It's really mind. nice. I mean, my parents, um, I moved from Indianapolis where I finished up school back to uh, St. Louis to be closer to my family. And about six months later, my parents packed up shop and left and moved to the East Coast. And they spent about seven years on a sailboat. And they would spend, you know, most of their winters down somewhere in the Caribbean area. And when they go from Norfolk, Virginia down to the Caribbean, it can be as much as an 11 day sail without seeing land. And, you yeah. know, it's 24 wow. hours a day for 10, 11 days straight. And it's eight hour shifts between my mom and my dad. And they have the exact same system where I can literally go log into a website and just see exactly where they are, follow their little path know how much progress they're making and that everything's all good. So it just makes you feel way better knowing that you can see Absolutely. they're yeah. up and running. Yeah, it's incredible. I was I was very grateful for that. And so are my loved ones. Highly, highly recommend that. It's worth the money. So coming off of the experience, coming, you know, having to go through the physical uh, barriers that you went through and, and having to go through the kind of borderline quote unquote rescue process, you know, we'll, we'll, won't make it so dramatic, uh, but, you know, certainly in dramatic <laughs> fashion, the way that you left them out. And that's pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> it's it pretty cool. You know, what 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 did you go through afterwards? How did you feel about the journey, the experience? I know I saw on one of your Instagram posts that as much as you love the outdoors, you were really excited to kind of go back to normal life, and you were going to maybe take a break for a minute. Uh, tell me about how that kind of affected you and what you took away from the hike. Yeah, um, I think going into it. I thought it was going to be this sort of like ethereal experience. You know, I mean, I had hiked enough to know that, you know, don't hype it up too much. <laughs> it's it's going to be, it's going to be of, tough. A lot of you know? work. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, I guess I thought I wouldn't, I thought that I would enjoy a lot more than I actually did. My time frame was so aggressive that it, it really didn't, allow time to stop and kind of take it all in. So if I could change anything, um, I definitely would have given myself more time, but you know, just with work and everything, it was, it was very difficult to, to go. I was really stretching it at, at 14 days. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was beautiful. Um, I definitely want to go back and finish the rest at some point. Uh, I'd probably bring my dad with me That's to cool. do that. Um, I, you know, something about solo travel has always really appealed to me. Um, and although, you know, it, it was difficult, um, you know, there, there was a couple setbacks. Uh, I, I really liked that I was alone the whole time. Um, I have things and experiences that, are for me alone and no one else shares those. And I, to me, that's, you know, it's great to share things with loved ones, but I, I always, I firmly believe that you should keep some things for yourself. Um, so I'm very, so grateful that I have those, those memories, um, and those experiences as difficult or, you know, amazing as they were. But after the hike, you know, I just kind of, um, just kind of, wanted to be just a little boozy after that, you know, when you don't shower, <laughs> when you don't shower for nine days, you know, and you feel like, you know, a little like less than, than human for a little bit. And I know like any PC tears that are listening to this are like, grow up. What a big, <laughs> yeah. there's levels to everything. Um, there's levels to everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, I just, 
I just kind of, I did so much preparing for it. I did so much solo travel to prepare for it and so much hiking. And I was just like, you know, I'm just, I'm ready to, to just chill for a little bit. I reflected a lot on the experience, um, you know, and yeah, I don't know. That's cool. That's cool. And <laughs> I want to, no, 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 <laughs> that's more. exactly what I wanted to hear, right? Is, is I think everybody goes on these bigger journeys to learn some things about themselves, to give themselves some time to think. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, not only did you go through some challenging stuff, but you kind of figured out some things, uh, that are important to you and some things that, you know, you want to continue to do. So that's all really cool stuff. That's why I kind of always ask those questions. So going from something that was very kind of self-focused to something that's very selfless, uh, before I let you go today is actually universal children's day. And I know you are a mentor with take stock and children. Yeah. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that program, why you're involved and what you do as a mentor. And we'll use that as the conclusion to our chat. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for, uh, for bringing that up. I take stock is incredible. Um, so the organization that I work with in Gainesville, Florida, um, I, I'm, I'm an attorney, but I'm also a financial advisor. I've been doing this for like 11 years. And um, I would say there are maybe 20 people in our firm and about all 15 of them are involved in take stock. So it's just, it's an incredible organization. Uh, what they do is they, they choose um, children. There's certain parameters that, that the kids have to meet. They have to apply for the program. Um, but basically they, they have to be underprivileged um, and typically from, you know, single parent households, there's, there's some, uh, some barrier to, you know, the, the traditional, you know, student success that, that they're facing and they, they hook them up with a mentor from the community. Uh, we meet with our, our kids twice a month, but the relationship goes way deeper than, you know, just meeting with them twice a month. You really yeah. become part of their life. They trust you. Um, they introduce you to their friends, which I never thought I'd be so excited about. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> these kids in high school, middle school, um, you know, their their friends are their entire world. You know, their their parents they could care less about most of the time, but you know, if they introduce you to their friends, they really let you into their world. Um, and the kids have to maintain a certain GPA uh, to stay in the program. But once they are finished with it and they graduate, they get full um florida they get full scholarships to any college in florida oh that's awesome university so it's it's incredible that's a fantastic program i've i've been spending the last four or five years uh working for a nonprofit based in st louis but we're a national nonprofit organization and we work with high school students largely at disadvantaged schools trying to talk to them about careers in cybersecurity and getting to work with them, not nearly as often as you are, you know, twice a month and more, and then being involved in their, their lives on the ongoing basis, just being involved in the short term, going in and doing half day workshops, uh, seeing the impact that our professional mentors make on students. And even in a very short period of time is incredible. So, uh, the fact that you're dedicating as much of your time, obviously being an attorney and a financial advisor going on adventures and traveling, uh, you've got a busy schedule. I know you go to conferences and all kinds of things as part of your career. Um, to dedicate that kind of time to 
youth in your area is really a powerful thing and quite frankly something that's really needed more across the the board so i applaud you oh, hugely yeah. for uh, being a part of that initiative oh man there's there's nothing more important i mean i'll <laughs> i'll sacrifice you know any any hiking trip in the world you know to to spend time with those kids because that's that's the stuff that like actually matters at the end of the day so i really enjoy it thank you so much for bringing it up um you know i hope whoever's listening to this uh looks up something if not take stock in children, something similar in, the, in you know your area, it doesn't take that much time, and you know you can really, really alter a kid's trajectory. So, fantastic stuff, uh, Katie Sue twenty two on Instagram. <laughs> Anything else that you want to draw people's attention to before I let you get back to your time? Uh, no, man. You know, if, if anyone has any questions about, you know, doing the JMT or anything, I'm, I'm happy to help you. And if I can't help you, I can point you uh, perhaps to a resource. But um, yeah, man, thanks so much for having me on and for your time. This is this has been great. Really appreciate all you do. Thanks so much. I appreciate you coming on. This was a ton of fun. It was great to get to know you better. Thanks. Likewise. All right. You take care. Talk to you. All right. I want to thank my guest, Katie Sue 22. She was absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I actually, quite frankly, learned a ton about the John Muir Trail and what it takes to get on and off that trail and what all the challenges are that you're going to be presented with along the way, along with some really great resources that she was able to take advantage of. Uh, obviously, this is a really cool story, and I hope to do many, many more episodes with Katie in the future. She's just really, really cool. And she and I have become uh, pretty good buddies uh, over Instagram, which is such a cool thing about Instagram or really any social media uh, is you get to know some people that I would have never otherwise met, never otherwise interacted with. Uh, speaking of which, if you subscribe to this podcast and you want to check out more content, check us out on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, we are podcast outdoors. It's the only channel that's not outdoors podcast. Unfortunately, uh, that one was already taken. And then definitely check out the YouTube channel. Uh, YouTube, just check out outdoors podcast. You'll find us uh, a lot of really good videos and how to's and reviews and things like that over there. Uh, and then lastly, check out the websites, uh, www.outdoorspodcast.com. Pretty simple. Uh, I post lots of content there and I'm going to be really ramping up what we do in 2020 here shortly because I want to build this community and interact with more and more of you. So I'm really looking forward to the future. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.